Well, hey there, everyone. I'm Daniel Hahn, and I'm the online campus pastor here at Oxford Assembly of God Church, and this is our podcast. And I just want to thank you for listening today. We hope the message you're about to hear inspires you, builds your faith, and helps you see that God has a purpose for your life. And now, let's get into the message. Good morning, church family. It's my great honor to fill in for Pastor Strickland today. As you know, he's on vacation with his grandchildren and Miss Marcia. And uh, we're just praying they have safe traveling mercies. Be praying for them this week. And of course, definitely be praying for them because they have Emmett with them. So um, they, we need to cover them in prayer. If you haven't met little Emmett, you don't understand. Today I'm excited to share. I heard an amen back there somewhat. <laughs> Today I'm excited to share a message that God has been percolating in my spirit for well over a year. And you might be saying to yourself, well, this better be good if it's been over a year. Well, I make no promises whether it's good or bad, but I will tell you God's been working in me for this for quite a while. Um, If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 9. We're going to be focusing on verses 1 through 13 today. And while you're turning there this weekend, I know we've already said this, but across our great nation, we set aside this time to remember those that gave the ultimate sacrifice so that you and I can even be here today. I want you to know there are people around the world that would love to have this opportunity to gather like this and not be worried about being locked up in jail or being crucified or anything like that. But I'm going to tell you something, church. Our country has a lot of problems, but I want you to know that a lot of men and women have sacrificed their lives so that we can be here today. We still live in a great country. Amen. We remember those that recognize that even though the sacrifice was great to them, it was worth it. And they were willing to give their all, and I pray we will never forget their sacrifice. And I don't know about you, but I am very thankful for the sacrifice man has made for my freedom. But I'm even more grateful for the sacrifice that Jesus bore on that cross at Calvary so that my soul could be set free. All right. 2 Samuel chapter 9, beginning at verse 1. And David said, Is there still anyone left of the house of Saul, that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of the house of Saul, whose name was Ziba, and they called him to David. And the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul, that I may show the kindness of God to him? Ziba said to the king, there is, a, there is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. The king said to him, where is he? And Ziba said to the king, he is in the house of Maker, the son of Amiel at Lodabar. Then King David sent and brought him from the house of Maker, the son of Amiel at Lodabar. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, It's a tongue twister. Son of Saul came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold, I am your servant. And David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. And I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. And he paid homage and said, What is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? 
Then the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, All that belong to Saul and all to all to and to all his house I have given to your master's grandson, and you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him, and shall bring in the produce, that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. Now Ziba had fifteen sons and twenty servants. Then Ziba said to the king, According to all that my lord the king commands his servant, so so will your servant do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all who lived in Ziba's house became Mephibosheth's servants. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate always at the king's table. Now he was lame in both feet. Let's pray. Father, I want to first lift up those families in Texas to you right now. God, they're dealing with the unthinkable this week. They're dealing with the unthinkable this Sunday. This is their first Sunday without their children. God, I pray that you would just wrap your loving arms around them and shower them with your pure love today. God, there's nothing else that they can possibly help them other than knowing that you are there with them in the midst of this struggle. Father, I pray that you would release revelation in this house. Use me for your glory. Empower me with your Holy Spirit and anointing. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. The title of our study this morning is Carried to the Table. There are several things that are a bit unusual and strange within this passage. But how many of you know, as we've already said, that the God we serve is no ordinary God? He, here's David. He hasn't been king over Israel for long, and he asks a question that is rather unusual for a king to ask. David wants to know if there is anyone still alive that is related to the previous king of Israel, namely Saul, so that he can extend kindness to them. Now, allow me to explain this a bit further so you understand the complexity of this. Typically, when a new king took the throne, he would wipe out anyone even remotely related to or connected with the previous king so that his new dynasty would be firmly intact. But David chooses to flip the script. He wants to show the family kindness. Now allow me to give you a Reader's Digest version of the relationship that Paul, uh, excuse me, that Saul and David had. When Saul was king, it became apparent that David would be the next king. God spoke and anointed David to take the throne. This made Saul extremely insecure. And he thought that David was after him. He thought that David was going to kill him, even though David proved time and time again that he was not out to harm him. And so the relationship between the two of them was strained at its best. So you can see why this is a bit unusual. Not only did David have a strained relationship, relationship with Saul, but it was also completely uncustomary to allow the family of the previous king to live. During the struggle with David and Saul, Jonathan, the son of Saul, asks David to make a covenant with him. Knowing what was customary back then and knowing that David would be the next king, Jonathan wants David to promise to not harm his family. Now, some may say that David was only being kind to Mephibosheth because of the covenant that he made to Jonathan, but I beg to differ. I believe David wanted to do something for the family of his enemy, and I believe that he would have done it regardless. See, the world's philosophy is simple. If someone does wrong to you, you do wrong to them. But David chose early on that his kingship would be different than Saul's. He determined in his heart that he would always be a man after God's own heart. 
heart. Our first point this morning is very simple. Church, it's time to show some kindness. Now, I want to share a new revelation with you. This is brand new, and I want you to prepare yourself because it is anointed, okay? Are you ready? I want you to lean in close, okay? I don't want everyone out there in the world driving by on 301 to hear this. I want this to stay in, this, in these four walls, okay? Don't even tell pastor about this, but I'm going to tell you this is, this is a greater revelation than anything the Lord has ever revealed to Pastor Strickland. Okay, that's how good this is, okay? Prepare yourself. Prepare yourself. All right, here it is. Sometimes you encounter jerks at church. How many of you think you could write a book on that? I'm going to tell you, some of the most hurtful things that have ever happened in my life have happened to me by those that belong to the church. And if you are here today or you're watching online and you have been hurt by the church, I apologize on behalf of the church to you this morning. This, the church is not perfect, but I do want to remind you that it is still the best thing afloat. So don't abandon the church. Don't leave the church. When the going gets tough, when people are jerks, just remember you're doing this for Jesus, not for man. We are living in a lost and dying world, friends. But let me tell you, God desires to use us to draw people to him even in dire situations. Some only want to be used by God during the good times. But church, that is shallow living. That is shallow faith. We are called to be witnesses not just when we feel like it, but even when it's not the most convenient for us. Let me tell you, it was not convenient for Jesus to be hung on a cross, but he endured it for our sake. Hebrews 12, 2. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy, what joy is there in a cross? Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God? Church, let me tell you something. The nails that pierced the hands of Jesus didn't feel good, but Jesus decided that he wasn't going to focus on the bad around him and the evil, evil happening to him. He made a conscious decision to focus on the prize. Jesus did not find joy in the event. He found joy and the guaranteed outcome of the event. See, you and I have been called to be the hands and feet of Christ. We have not been called to be jerks. You heard me correctly. I said we are not called to be jerks. I think it's safe to say that as a whole, I encounter more Christians that are jerks than I do unbelievers. And let me tell you, that's not very appetizing. Now, let me tell you, the Christian jerks go to all the other churches. We have the cream of the crop here at OAG. So... I don't want you, you can nudge your neighbor and say, he's not talking about you. He's not talking about me. He's talking about all those other people, okay? But in case you were wondering, what do those other Christian folks that are jerks, what do they act like? I'm curious. I don't know what that's like. I'm not used to that. I'm going to help you out. Not paying a tip when you go to a restaurant and thinking that leaving a track on the table is sufficient, that might qualify as being a jerk. <laughs> don't do that. 
Is salvation invaluable? Yes. Is salvation the greatest thing you can share with someone? Absolutely. But can we just simply start with being kind? Can we start there? And then let's go into Jesus. Well, Pastor Scott, you don't know what this world is like today. It's a dog-eat-dog world out there, and every man is out for himself. Here's what I will tell you, church. Good servants get used. Good servants get stepped on. Good servants get walked all over. Good servants get spit on. If you don't believe me, look at Jesus. Good servants get used and abused, but don't you know that it will all be worth it in the end? Maybe you have forgotten and need to be reminded, we are not attending a tea party church. We are in a war for souls, and those souls are worth the abuse. Don't be a jerk. We need to be people of extravagance when it comes to our kindness. Don't just do what is good enough. Go above and beyond. See, David could have stopped with just giving him his inherited land from Saul. He could have just allowed him to sit at his table for one meal. But no, David allowed him to sit at his table for the rest of his life. That is extravagant kindness. We have all been blessed by God. But church, if all we're doing is coming to this building so that we can be blessed by God and take 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 and we never give anything out that he has given us, do not be surprised if the cistern of your life dries up. God is a God of extravagance. We are called to be people of extravagance because we serve a God that has been so extravagantly kind to us that our own only response can be extravagance. Nothing else will do. Matthew 26, beginning at verse 6. Very familiar passage. Now, when Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, a woman came up to him with an alabaster flask, a very expensive ointment, and she poured it on his head as he reclined at the table. And when the disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, what, Why this waste? For this could have been sold for a large sum and given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor, but you will not always have me. And pouring this ointment on my body, she has done it to prepare me for burial. Truly, I say to you, whenever the, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. I just want to take a short detour here because I feel like preaching to the young people for just a second. I know we don't have many young people here today, but that's okay. Just one will do. I feel like preaching to the young people for just a second. There are people that are telling you, why don't you live up your years as a youth? Live it up. Why don't you party? Why don't you do what everyone else is doing? Why are you so different? See, the world calls it waste, church, but, the, but Jesus calls it worship. And he says it's precious ointment. I'm telling you, telling you that purity and virginity and cleanliness and holiness and sanctification in a dark, filthy world is precious ointment to God. I don't care what everyone else is doing. It is precious to God. Church, I want you to know that that ointment that she poured all over Jesus was not a waste. Mary sat at the feet of Jesus, and I believe she knew this man is about to die a cruel death so that I can have salvation. And he doesn't deserve just the bottom of the barrel. He deserves my everything. What am I saying? Church, don't 
be a jerk. Don't hoard the kindness that God has shown you. If someone comes in this building and wants to sit in your seat, get up. Offer it to them. Go get them a cup of coffee from the Heart Rock Cafe. Offer to pray for them and get to know them. Well, Pastor Scott, that's my seat. It's been my seat since I got here back in 1902. And you know, I pay your salary with my tithes, so I would recommend you allow me to sit wherever I want to in this church. Well, bless your little heart, Sister McGillicuddy. I am so thankful that you have attended Oxford Assembly 30 years before it was even founded. But I have news for you. These seats are not saved and they are not for sale. Why? Because until everyone from outside these four walls has heard about Jesus, has received salvation, and is plugged into a Bible-believing church, we are going to save seats for them. Can we be a church that is open to the lost? Can we be a church of extravagance? Can we be a church that is committed to seeing the lost get saved? Can we be a church that is committed to doing whatever it takes to see the great commission accomplished? Can we be a church of extravagant, extravagant kindness? I want people outside to say, you know, I am tired of getting beat down and run down by the world. I am going to go to that church where people are welcoming, where I sense the presence of God. And people treat others with extravagant kindness. Church, this is not your living room, friends. This is a battleground for souls. So don't put your feet up and get comfortable. David could have said, well, you know, I made a covenant with Jonathan, yes, to always be kind to his family and to watch out for them. And the fact that I haven't killed Mephibosheth, I think that is plenty kind. You know, he really is a threat to my new throne. He really could come after it because he's related to Saul, so technically it belongs to him. But no, David said, I want him to sit at my table for not just one meal, not just two meals, not just five meals, and not just for a month, but for the rest of his life life. Why? Because I believe David was thinking, you know, God has been extravagantly kind and gracious to me. He has placed me to be king for his chosen people. The least I can do is pass on that extravagant kindness and love and allow Mephibosheth to sit at my table. Can we be a church that is known not just for being kind, but being extravagantly kind because our Savior has been so kind to us. If God has been extravagantly kind to you, why don't you lift up an extravagant shout of praise in this house to today and thank him for it. So it's time, church, to show kindness. Our second point this morning is come out of hiding. 2 Samuel 9, beginning at verse 3. Ziba answered the king, there is still a son of Jonathan. He is lame in both feet. Where is he? The king asked. Ziba answered, he is at the king of Maker, son of Amiel, in Lodabar. Here's Mephibosheth. He is obviously hiding because he knows by the world standard he is of no use to the new king. In fact, he should be viewed as a threat to the throne. He is lame in his feet. The only way that David could even learn about his existence was through Ziba. I want you to know something today, and I don't know who this is for, but I sense that this is for someone in here, and it may be for more than one. If you are hiding today, 
Because you think that you don't matter. You think you have nothing to offer. You think you are useless. I want you to know something today, friend. You do matter. God sees you when no one else does. He knows you better than you know yourself. He hears your cries in the middle of the night when you can't sleep. And he loves you. You see, the world may hate on you because in their eyes you have nothing to offer. But the king sees you a little differently. Your worth is not determined by the world, friends. It is not determined by your circumstances. It is not determined by your bank account or your financial investments. Can I get a hallelujah on that? Your worth was spoken for on the cross of Calvary. God did not look around when he was looking for a sacrifice and say, well, this will have to do. It's not perfect, but it'll do. No, he sent his best church. He looked at his son and he said, he is perfect. He is blameless. He is sinless. And he sent his flawless son to die a death on bare load that he did not deserve. Jesus bore your sins so that you and I could come out of hiding. And yet many of us are still walking around with our head held low. Church, it is time to lift your head up. Walk with confidence in who you are. You are the sons and daughters of the Most High God. This is not something to be ashamed of. Church, some of you are hiding from the very one you need to be running to. Some of you are hiding because of your sin. You think you're too far gone. Some are hiding because you think there's no possible way that God can use you. Some of you are hiding because you have been emotionally are physically hurt by the world or worse those in the church and you think you're useless but hear me this morning church you are not useless. You are called. Here we find Mephibosheth hiding from David out of fear because he assumed that David would want him dead but in actuality David didn't want to hurt him. David wanted to bless him. See, if you and I will simply come as we are, with our wounds, with our scars, with our disabilities, with our weaknesses, with our infirmities, with our messed up, jacked up lives and lay them before the king, we will discover that he will take us just as we are. We just sung about that, just as I am. Church, the world needs to know that our God is a God of the impossible. He is a God of the outcast. He is a God of the Humpty Dumpties. Show me someone that the world has rejected and I will show you someone that the king dearly loves. How many of you watched the show Fixer Upper on HGTV? You've seen it. A lot of you. Chip and Joanna Gaines. I'm sure a lot of you are familiar with it. Uh, In case you don't know, let me explain it. Give you a short little rundown of what it is. Let me tell you, church. Chip and Joanna Gaines can walk into a whole filthy mess of a house. They can walk into a dilapidated circumstance. They can walk into a home that has been condemned and boarded up. Some of them stink to the highest heaven. Not just to heaven, they stink to the highest heaven. It's more than you could ever possibly imagine. You can just, you can smell it just looking at the TV screen. You can just imagine what that place smells like. And the amazing thing is, this is what blows my mind, they're bringing people along and an entire camera crew and saying, look at this house. Isn't this amazing? And you're looking at it and you're thinking, no, I don't see what you see. The amazing thing is they're bringing people along with them to these filthy, dilapidated houses and they're saying, oh, I can see your cabinets right here. And oh, I can see your new living room right over here. And the people are like, I don't see what you see. But don't you rejoice that you serve a God that walked into the mess of your life and said, oh, I see hope when nobody else sees hope. And I see peace when nobody else sees peace. When other people wanted to throw you away, God said, oh, I can restore that. Oh, I can renew that. Oh, I can bring that back to life. Lift up a praise in this place if God has done that for you. 
Isn't he able? Won't he do it? Won't he do it? Won't he do it? Oh, don't tell me that he isn't able to take the ruins out of my life and make something great out of it because I have seen too much. See, some people look at you like they would a dilapidated and condemned house, but not God. God says, come and watch what I can make out of the pieces of your life. Give me what you have and watch as new life springs forth from the ashes. God is not out to harm you. He wants to bless you. And he wants you just as you are. Women, you don't have to put on makeup and put on your nice dress. Just come as you are. Men, you don't have to get that fresh haircut and make sure that every strand of hair is just right like I do before I get out of bed in the morning. (laughs) You don't need to put on a three-piece suit. Just come as you are. Mephibosheth came as he was to the king. He couldn't even walk himself to the king church, but that did not bother David. David sent someone to carry him so that he could come just as he was. Oh my goodness. (laughs) Come to the altar. Come to God just as you are. See, without Jesus, you can't stand before God. But don't you worry, brother. Don't you worry, sister. You have an advocate in Jesus. He will carry you. He will clean you up. He will wash your feet. He will wash your hair. He will wash your body. He will wash your face. Aren't you glad for Jesus that he can come in and clean you up? Some of you may say, Pastor Scott, you don't know my situation. You don't understand how limited I am. You don't know how old I am. You don't know how sinful I am. You don't know, you don't know, you don't know the half of it. Well, let me tell you something, friend. I may not, but I believe the very same Savior that pulled me up from the pits of hell is able to do it for you. If he did it for me, he'll do it for you. There is not one perfect person sitting in this building today. The perfect person is on vacation today. But we all had to come to this altar just as we were because we couldn't fix ourselves. So just come as you are. If you are here today or you're watching online, I want you to know that the king has room for you at his table. He has got a spot and he wants you to sit at that table. If you think the king wants to harm you, I can assure you he doesn't. He just wants you to come as you are. I am a living testimony to what this king can do with a surrendered life and will. So come out of hiding. Our third and final point for this morning. Satan wants you to think that you're worthless, but the king has spoken a better word. 2 Samuel 9, 8. What is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? All the years of hiding from the king and living in fear and poverty made Mephibosheth think of himself as worthless. But let me tell you, church, he was not worthless to the king. I want you to know today that it doesn't really matter how Satan sees you or how others see you. It doesn't really matter. Mephibosheth didn't feel worthy of such generosity from his king. He referred to himself as a dead dog, worthless as someone to be pitied, the lowest of the low. When Ziba disclosed to David that Mephibosheth was lame, David could have responded, well, now that changes things. Well, I may have to alter the invitation because I don't want a life sentence taking care of someone who can't even walk themselves to the bathroom. David still, after learning that he was lame, said, bring him to me. 
I want to show him kindness. See, his lameness did not disqualify him from receiving from the king. Some of you have been cast aside by the world, but this king sees you a little differently. He looks on you as a precious jewel, something of the utmost value. Don't worry yourself with the way the world sees you, friends. So how much do we matter to God? What is our worth in God's eyes? I would have to tell you, I believe God tells us our worth in the very first book of the Bible. In the very first chapter, as a matter of fact. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God told us in the very first chapter of the Bible how much we were worth. We were worth enough to him to be made by his hand. And we are not just crafted by him. We are made in his image. I want you to know something today. Some of you look at your mistakes and you think, if God would have only known that I would make all of these mistakes, he would have never created me. And I hate to burst your bubble, friend, but he would have still made you. How do I know this? Before God ever created us, he knew that Adam and Eve would fail him in the Garden of Eden. He knew that he would have to sacrifice his son for us. And yet, even knowing all of that, here's what he said. Genesis 1, 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. What are you saying, Pastor Scott? I'm saying that even though God knew you would fail him, he decided that you were worth the cost. You are worth the price. You are worth it. Mephibosheth had to depend on others around him for his every need. And as a man, I'm going to tell you something, that is emasculating. He couldn't get, get up to even go to the bathroom by himself. He couldn't get dressed by himself. He didn't have the medical care that we have today. He was almost completely dependent on others. Yet David saw value in him. Brothers and sisters, remember, Satan wants you to believe that you are worthless, but the king has spoken a better word. This table that is behind me represents two things. First of all, it represents the table that Mephibosheth would have sat at with King David. Now, I just want to point something out to you really quick. If I were laying in both of my feet right now, you would have no idea. But notice what has happened. The table has covered my lameness. Oh, it's still there. I know it, but you don't see it. See, the scars of my infirmities are still here, church. I still need someone to carry me each and every day to this table so that I can eat. I still need Jesus. Did I receive salvation? Yes. But I still need Jesus every single day. When I wake up, I need him to carry me. Because I don't know what's coming in my day, but I know I don't have enough in my own to make it. So I need him to carry me. See, salvation is not just a once-in-a-lifetime thing. We receive Christ and we're good to go. Wash our hands, we're good. No, it's an every day walk with him but church it was the kindness of God that compelled someone to pick me up so that I can sit here today I couldn't get here on my own I can't get myself to this table my good deeds are not enough but guess what the king loves me enough to send someone to pick me up and place me at this table each and every day and it all started with an invitation of kindness it all started with an invitation of kindness. So what else does this table represent? Revelation 19, beginning at verse 6, and I don't know about you, but I cannot wait for this day. 
Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the war of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give Him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come. And his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Church, there is coming a day when Christ will return to receive his bride. And when that day comes, there will be a great banquet. I want you to know that the King Jesus has set up a table and he wants to carry you to that table. Sing it, Katie. There is a table Filled with the best food Can you hear the Father calling? There's a seat just for you And at this table All is forgiven Trade in your chains of bondage For your crowns of freedom All are welcome at the table There is a place just for you No condemnation at the table There is a place just for you just for you this is the table of new beginnings these cups are full It's never ending And at this table There are no orphans Just a loving father And his sons and daughters All around There is a place just for you No condemnation at the table There is a place just for you Just for you
a place just for you no condemnation at the table there is a place just for you just for you You see, as I look at this table, I'm reminded all these people are here because someone shared Christ with them. You see, Lou's here, and he's got a Bible study, and he's talking about God and Christ in his Bible study. Now, I wonder how many people are going to be seated around Lou because he shared the gospel with them. How many people are going to be around you, church, at that great banquet? that you're going to look at and you're going to remember that day when the Holy Spirit put in your heart that you know what I need to stop I need to do something that was inconvenient and you're going to look at them and you're going to remember that day and God's going to say remember that day whenever you didn't want to but I nudged you and I said do it they're here at the table because you shared the gospel with them church It's our obligation to share what we have. Someone did that for you, and we need to do that for them. Now, I want you to know something else. There will be times when you feel like you are not worthy to sit at this table, but here's what I want you to do. I want you to look under the table, and you'll realize that everybody everybody's feet are damaged none of us got here without being carried if you know God carried you why don't you give God praise in this house today isn't he worthy I don't want you to miss this please do not miss this the symbolism here is incredible in Jewish culture, a marriage involved two separate major events, the betrothal and the wedding itself. They were typically separated by a period of time. Now, the betrothal, in many ways, what we would call an engagement. The couple were in many ways considered husband and wife, and so there was an obligation of faithfulness on both sides. Then came the wedding. Don't miss this. The wedding began with a procession to the bride's house, which was then followed by a return to the house of the groom for the marriage feast. So what does this mean, church? Christ has already come to the bride's house. That's to us here on the earth. And we are awaiting his return so that we can go to the groom's house for the marriage feast of a lifetime. We will all sit around that banquet table on that day knowing that it was not our deeds that got us there, but it was only the blood of Christ that we can be seated at the table. We had to be carried to the table. For those of you that are saved, remember that all the trials that you are facing today will be worth it when you sit at that table on that day. For those of you that need to receive salvation, I want you to know there is a seat just for you. All you have to do is surrender. Salvation is inclusive. It is not 
for just some people. It is for everyone, no matter who, what you have done, no matter how far you have drifted away. Salvation can be yours today. With every head bowed and all eyes closed. I'm going to make this very simple. You have all been sent an invitation. And if you didn't know about the invitation, I made you aware of it today. We are all sinners. We are all dead dogs without Christ. But you have been sent an invitation from Christ to sit at this table. But there's something that you need to do. You need to recognize your sinfulness. You need to acknowledge your need for the one that will sit at the head of this table, Jesus Christ. So if you are here and you want to receive Christ, or you need to rededicate your life to Christ, on the count of three, I just want you to slip up your hands. I don't want anyone looking around. This is just between you and God. If you feel that tug on your heart, I want you to know that's the Holy Spirit confirming that you need His forgiveness. If you're watching online, I want you to know that you can receive Christ no matter where you are right this moment. So on the count of three, slip up your hand. One, Jesus loves you. Two, Jesus wants to carry you to the table. Three, slip up your hand. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Everyone pray this after me. Father, we all want to sit at that table with you on that glorious day. And I know that you want all of us there. Father, we submit our lives to you and we repent of anything that does not reflect who you are. We have made the decision to surrender our life to you completely. Father, we ask the blood of Christ would cleanse us of all sins and make us a new creation just like your word tells us you will do. We know that you are able. Jesus, we can't get to this table on our own. We need you to carry us to the King. Father, we thank you and we praise you for doing that. In Jesus' name, amen. I want you to remember, church family, to keep this image in your mind when Satan comes against you because I want you, want you to remind him where you will be on that day. And I want you to remind him where he will be on that day. You will be victorious by the blood of the Lamb. Church, I don't know how long it's going to be before that day comes for the marriage of the Lamb, but I can tell you this with all certainty. It is one day closer than it was yesterday. Did you receive anything from the service today? Isn't God good? He's good all the time, church. Even when we don't think it, even when it looks like he has abandoned us, church, he is good. On behalf of our pastor and staff here at OAG, we want to say thank you. Thank you for being a part of our ministry. We are grateful for you and the support you give our church and its ministries so that we can continue to do what God has called us to do to be the family church for the family of God. For more content from Pastor Strickland and Oxford Assembly of God, check out our media website at oag.church/media.